Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by I'm Black Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. Okay, folks, welcome everyone to this episode of B2B Marketers on a Mission. This is a show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am joined by someone on a mission to help B2B companies bring people together to create greater impact. So coming to us from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, no, Dubai is not a country, by the way, right? <laughs> Lloyd Lobo, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for hosting me. My good friend, Melissa Kwan, spoke so highly of you. Oh. And thank you also for taking the time to get on a call with me prior and get to know me better. And, you know, we have a lot of things in common. So I appreciate you taking that time as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, uh, shout out to Melissa. Thank you so much for this introduction. Secondly, yeah, the overlap is crazy. How much we had in common there, all the parallels, like, you know, there was a Canada connection in there somewhere. Right. There was a Kuwait connection in there somewhere. There was a Kuwait connection. I mean, it's just all over the place, man. We're going, we're going global. We're going global. That's 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 what's going on here. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't help myself, but I had to throw in that Dubai is not a country because so many people keep getting that one wrong. Right. <laughs> it's the <laughs> United Arab Emirates. Yes. <laughs> and San Francisco is still home base for me. Mm-hmm. Toronto is second home base. <laughs> and uh you know, Vancouver is a third home base mm. uh, and where our head office for Boast is in Canada. And yep. then, you know, Dubai is a new home where I spend day in, day out. Summer, I was between bouncing between San Francisco and, and Toronto over the summer. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, Lloyd, man, I am really looking forward to getting into this with you because this is such a great topic. It's not only a great topic. I think it's something that a lot of people... um don't entirely understand. And when I say that, I mean, they don't understand how to how to optimize it, right? So what am I talking about? I'm talking about communities, okay? So you said something in our previous conversation and it also appears in your bio. And I'm just gonna read it out because it really resonated with me, okay? So you, re- you said, um, in a world where traditional marketing is losing its edge and products are struggling to stand out, a thriving community is your biggest asset. So here comes the question. Why do you believe that if you build a community, you won't become a commodity? Definitely. So one of the key things I've found, right, we as humans latch on to innovation and technology a lot. What happened in 2000? .com, .com, everything was a .com company. Then came what social, we were all social companies. Then came mobile, we were all mobile companies. And then somewhere in between was the cloud, we were all cloud companies. And carries on and carries on and carries on. And today now everyone is an AI company. But why just go until 2000? Why not go even farther back, right? What was the innovation in the 80s? It was electronics. What happened then, a key incident was the Japanese manufacturers commoditized electronics. 
The impact was a large brand like Harley Davidson almost went bankrupt when the Japanese manufacturers commoditized electronics and built these cool motorbikes. The Harley Davidson leadership, they stood up and said, we're going to rebuild the company on the ethos of community. Management leaders went out and started writing clubs. Employees became writers, writers became employees. They came together on the ritual of and the shared brotherhood of writing and the joys of writing, coming together on the weekends, hanging out. And then they started creating impact by supporting causes that were beyond the profits of Harley Davidson. They were donating to breast cancer and autism and all these causes. That community ended up not only saving Harley Davidson, but today, Harley-Davidson is an iconic brand, right? Fast forward some 40 years, right? And you can recognize a Harley fan merely by what they're wearing. What's really interesting is as I'm doing the speaking tour, I go to places dressed as a Harley-Davidson fan. I mean, what is dressed like a Harley-Davidson fan? I wear knee-high boots and I wear a leather jacket. Right? It's, on, it's on my book cover, in my bio. And of course, I don't have any Harley-Davidson logos on my body. But the first thing people ask me without fail is, where is your Harley Davidson? That just tells you it's an iconic brand. And so what I truly believe is that yesterday's innovation, and you can think about it, name the innovation, but yesterday's innovation from electronics to the GPS to internet to social to mobile to and AI, right? And now AI Yesterday's innovation will always become tomorrow's commodity. But the most enduring brands over time, the most enduring companies, the most enduring cultures were built on human-to-human -human connection. If you build a community, you will not become a commodity. Your first community is your family. Your second community is probably the people you hang out with the most outside of your family, right? And those connections stay. Those connections stay with you. Those connections are what forge enduring brands. And you look at it in 2023, marketing is taking a bloodbath. CPMs are up on all these platforms. Consumers are tired, right? Even with generative AI, now you know if somebody's copy pasting from AI tools. And consumers are tired of seeing the same thing over and over again of spam, of clickbait, of giving personal data to access crappy white papers. But the best, most enduring brands all the way long have been built on human-to-human -human connection. Like Nike wants to help people become better athletes. You can run with a Nike running club no matter where you are by downloading the, their Nike running club app and being a part of the running club community. You don't have to wear Nike shoes. And that's, that's what I truly, truly believe in is the most enduring brands are forged on human-to-human -human connection. So as I was researching for this book, and talked to maybe a thousand leaders, community people, looked behind the scenes of every company, went into deep research, every company that endured, and rewatched all of our traction community content over the last several years. What I found is very, very interesting. Every obscure idea that eventually went on to become a global phenomena, from Christ to CrossFit, every obscure idea that became a global phenomena had four stages in common. People listen to you or buy your product, you have an audience. When you bring that audience together to interact with one another, it becomes a community, two-way communication. When that community comes together to create impact towards a greater purpose, 
far bigger than your product or your profit, it becomes a movement. And when that movement has undying faith in its purpose through sustained rituals, over time, it becomes a cult or a religion. Audience, community, movement, religion, that's the sequence. And so if you look at the heart of this, it's human-to-human connection. Every brand that went from an audience to cult-like were built on human-to-human connection with community being the sort of jumping pad to that, right? And yes, there are going to be anomalies, but you you don't build a business or a culture or, or company or any sort of relationship based on anomalies. You look at the norm, the average. And that is that is true for most of these iconic cult-like brands is they had community at its core. And that's why I believe that. Yeah, and those are some really great insights. Uh, thanks for sharing that. We are definitely going to dig into some of those details later on in the conversation. But something you just said is such a great segue into the next question. And you've probably come across this. There's a lot of these misconceptions about communities and probably even some to a certain degree, uh, mistakes that people make when it comes to building and uh, nurturing these communities. So just off the top of your head, uh, can you think of like maybe three to five of these mistakes and misconceptions and what people should do to address them? Definitely. So one of the first things that I think are a misconception that people have is they want to start a community and they ask me one of two questions very frequently. I want to start a community. When can I make some money? Number one. Number two, I want to start a community. Should I start a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group or a Slack group or whatever? And asking those questions are like saying, I want to build a church, but I'm not sure if I'm a Hindu or a Muslim or I'm atheist or Jewish, I don't know what I am, right? And I want to monetize is like saying I walk into a bar and I'm going to just ask the first girl I meet to marry me, which is ridiculous, right? You got to optimize for what? The phone number, then the text, right? Basically, what you're saying is you're exchanging value and you repeatedly exchange value before the transaction happens. If you're transactional, it's hard to build a community. Building a community is a marathon of the mind and heart. It's a labor of love. It's focused on understanding your customer, figuring out who they are, where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep, what are their problems and goals, but problems and goals are short-lived. So what are the long-term aspirations and what stands in their way? And then delivering them value in the sequence, visibility, credibility, and then profitability, right? Deliver value, deliver value. And through that, you'll become credible and they'll buy from you. But if you hope to add no value and monetize, or you hope to build a platform and people will join, then that's not going to happen, right? It always starts in the sequence of you're visible. People believe that you can add some value. You become credible because they you have added value, and then you become profitable. So that is, you know, I, I think one and two misconceptions. The other misconception is, you know, people are jumping on this community bandwagon. Building a community-led business or a community is about giving, adding value. I talked about. 
So you got to look within yourself to understand your values, the values of your co-founders. Do you draw joy from helping others? Like I believe as a function of my DNA growing up, right? My mom was born in the slums of Mumbai. I was born in Kuwait. They weren't educated. They weren't wealthy. So our summers were spent in the slum of, slums of Mumbai every summer vacation where like eating food to going to the bathroom to watching TV was communal because we didn't have enough. There was no toilet in the house. Fast forward a few years, the Gulf War hit Kuwait and the community came together as a big grassroots movement to rescue people and get them to safety, right? When there was no internet, there was no phones, every building became a sub-community, communicated with the next building, the next building, the next building, word of mouth spread to embassies, to countries, and this whole evacuation movement started. And, you know, I've experienced the power and the love of community in bringing people together, right? So I think, I think that, is, uh, that is a huge one. And, uh, and so if you don't have the DNA of giving, you don't want to give people and you just want to take, it's going to be very hard to sustain in the long haul. Number three or number four is, do you have a passion for this audience? So we talked about understand your customer, right? Before figuring out the platform you want to be present on before you build a home, give value before you take value, which is give before you ask for money. Then look within yourself, make sure that you have this DNA of giving. And th these misconceptions are not in any particular order, but make sure you have the DNA of giving. I think that is key. Number four is having a passion for the audience. If you don't like this audience, you hate your customers, Building a business or building a community-led business or building anything long-term is a slog, man. Your success doesn't come from showing up when the conditions are perfect. Your success comes from showing up when the conditions suck, but you got to still show up. And it becomes very hard to show up when the conditions suck and you don't like this audience and you hate your customer, right? And so having a love and a passion for that customer that you're creating for, that you're bringing together is super, super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, those are some really great points. I'm sorry you went through that. I mean, like definitely some humble beginnings there, man. But I did have two uh, follow-up questions for you. Okay. I'm going to just take them one at a time so it doesn't get all confusing. The first follow-up question, and you kind of talked about it already, but Define for us in your own words what value means, because, you know, value is one of these words that people tend to use very loosely these days, and different people have a different definition of value. So when you say you need to add value to the community, what does that actually mean? It means understanding your customers' problems and pain points, but also understanding the aspirations and connecting them and bringing them closer to their goals their aspirations, solving their problems. It means giving them something that is immediately actionable for them that they can walk away with and say, aha, I learned something or I made a connection. I can do something with this. My life is better as a function of it. 
that is value, right? Like, so if I make an introduction for you and you were able to get through a hump, that is value. If I gave you a piece of content that unlocked a stuck point for you, that is value. If I invited you to an event where you met some people that opened your mind to an area that you weren't even considering, that is value. If you learned something new, you made a new connection that were actionable for you, that is value. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, great. So that was the first follow-up question. The second follow-up question is on the topic of grassroots. And I know you talked about this in your book as well. But how important do you feel that is for community building you know, to start at a grassroots level? I think, you know, my my book is called From Grassroots to Greatness because it covers stories of companies that were seemingly obscure or ideas that were seemingly obscure that made the journey through audience, community, movement, and cult, right? They made that leap. And that's why it's called From Grassroots, like starting at the bottom. And I think when you're starting at the bottom, you got to start by one, understanding your customer. So let's say you want to start something. And it's brand new, you don't know where to start. So how do you figure out who do you even target? Because everything starts with the person you're targeting, you're you're adding value to, you want to help. And so it's like, do I have the passion for this audience? Because if you want to last long, you got to love your audience. Two, is it a small but growing niche, right? Three, is there a propensity pay? Maybe will they pay me someday? And four, is there an ease of access? Even if there is a propensity to pay and you love the audience, it's a massive market. But if you can't access it, then you can't do anything there. So I think starting there is is number one. Number two is understanding your customer. Where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep? What are their problems? What are their goals? What are the aspirations, which is the long term, and what stands in their way? Number three is understanding the circle of influence around your audience. Who are the people they follow? Like with this podcast, right? You bring, you have an audience, you bring people of influence that could add value to that audience and create some social proof in front of them. But then what do they frequent? Meaning what platforms are they prevalent on? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Insta? Or do they read TechCrunch? Do they read VentureBeat? So you can, one, maybe invite those journalists to your events, or you can distribute your content on those platforms like on LinkedIn, on Insta, on podcast. And then three is who do they fund? Meaning what other tools or services do they pay for? Those are the people who can co-host things with, they can be your sponsors, you can partner with them to do things, right? So then it's about understanding that circle of influence. Then after that, you figure out, hey, what kind of community I wanna build? I understand the audience. I have the passion for it. I understand the circle of influence. What kind of community do I want to build? There's three kinds of communities you can build. One is a community of practice where you're bringing people together to learn about a specific field. Just learn, get better at a specific field, like the inbound marketing community or traction is a community for innovators or Saster is a community for B2B SaaS founders where people learn to become better SaaS founders. Right. CrossFit is a, a fitness community. People come and, and learn to, you know, become better version of themselves, get fit. Two is a community of product. 
where people come to learn about your product, to build on top of your product, leverage your product to further their business. Could be a Microsoft community or a GitLab community or the Atlassian community. It's all about the product, turning your customers into evangelists. And the last one is a community of play where people come together to have fun, like the Nike Running Club or the Red Bull community or the Harley Davidson community where people come together to have fun, right? Camaraderie and shared brotherhood around the bike. So then it's like picking that, right? The, the kind of community you want to build. What I tell people is if you don't have a product that's used frequently, or you don't have product market fit, or you don't have any customers, don't build a community around a product. People are going to think you're going to sell to them. It's like a timeshare thing. Build a community of practice or build a community of play. Bring people together to have fun around the ideas or bring people together to learn about the field you're serving. And as a function of getting better and better at the field and you helping them become masters at their field, if you have software that enables that field, then they'll naturally progress to becoming your customers. Like Boast, our community was traction, was helping innovators get traction on their products. And as a function of helping them get traction on their products, eventually they started to become customers of Boast, right? Because we followed this path of surrounding ourselves by the circle of influence of the ideal customers. We would invite people to speak who were people that our ideal customers followed. We would invite reporters like TechCrunch and VentureBeat to moderate those sessions. I don't hog the sessions at our events. I only do on the podcast. And we would invite the people who they paid for, other service providers, other tools, as sponsors or co-hosts for our events. And so that's it, right? Like, how do you dominate that, that circle of influence? And, and then what you do is, then you go through these series, like, how do I build an audience? Create content around a white space. For Boast in the early days, when LinkedIn wasn't very prevalent and podcasting wasn't huge, we did two things. One, we wrote for a local newspaper called a column called Startup of the Week regularly. And we got that column, honestly, through hustle. We were, I reached out to the local newspaper, asked them if they'd give me a column. And they said, no, it's not of interest. Startups were, weren't very hot back then. So I blogged for a, another uh, regional sort of tech blog. And we drove so much traffic to it through friends, through retweets and whatnot, that when I, I leveraged that social proof to follow up with the editor, and he said, fine, I'll give you a blog. He gave me a blog. I didn't ask for permission. I said, I'll beg for forgiveness because I know he was giving me one blog post. Unless you're doing something illegal, as entrepreneurs, don't ask for permission, beg for forgiveness. I call the blog Startup of the Week. Now, what happens when the newspaper, like Post Media, puts out a blog like Startup of the Week? It gives the impression that it's like a weekly award. So that post went viral. I covered a founder. The editor called me a couple of days and said, hey, if you commit to writing this every week, I'll turn it into a print column. Now, that blog did three or four things. One. I put a form on there, a Wufu form, where if you wanted to be featured, you'd apply, number one. Number two, it gave me a backlink for our new website from the highest domain authority website in the country. Number three, it gave me social proof that two unknown guys who we you know, have no clue 
what they do are now like legitimized by being columnists on the newspaper. And four, it was a print column. And I don't know what it is, but they're still in 2023, when you're on the print column, people want to take copies of it and share it, right? It's a, it's ultimate social proof, especially with so many more blogs and, and the print being a scarce resource. So every Monday at 6 or 7 a.m., the founder is going to the newsstand, picking up papers, taking photos, sharing it with friends. So we did that. But nonetheless, that forum would build our list and we'd invite everyone from that list to then host meetups, small meetups, 10 people on a cadence regularly around specific topics. The white space was, at the time, all the events being held were very high-level inspirational talks. But a founder who's decided to quit their job and start to innovate, they don't need inspiration. They've quit their job. They need tactics. And nobody was talking tactics. So we started inviting like founders who got to 5 million or 10 million in revenue and you know, could talk about how I got my first 100 customers, how I got my first half a million in revenue, how I got my first angel investment. What's the right way to hire a first employee when you have no money? Do you do contractors? versus like agencies versus like finding interns all these topics that matter to a founder at zero or a founder at one trying to get to the next level which is five but they can't relate to somebody who's at 50 right 50 million because they have a different set of problems so doing that one-two punch of small events frequently combined with being uh, a weekly column in the newspaper had this boomerang effect off each other. Our list kept building. We kept inviting those people to the events. And then we would also seed it by scraping emails of people who fit that profile. Because once you know that profile, you can just find out their email addresses and email them. And now your email is not saying buy my stuff, but you're sending an invite to an event kind of thing. Man, that was a great list. Just give me a second here, because I think you've pretty much already answered the question about what B2B marketers who are listening to this conversation can do in terms of uh, building a community the right the right way, right? So I think you started out with, and people should be doing this if they're not doing this already, like drafting yeah. or writing good content. And when I say good content, it's content that's relevant to the target audience, right? Um, exactly. Number two, doing that outreach, whether it's to media, whether it's to potential partners, um, finding that social proof. Uh, number three, and I think you really hit the nail on the head there hosting small meetups, you know, like starting small, because I think a lot of people, when they think of communities, it's like, oh my gosh, it's got to be like a TED talk with like 5,000 people. Right. I mean, start small. I mean, like you guys didn't start with like 5,000, right? Like, I mean, you, you, you guys, you guys I, we still, community. the, still the bulk of our meetups are small, 15, right. 20, 30 person events done on a cadence. Yeah. And then we do a big massive conference once a year, but mm -hmm. you know, Think about it. The production value of doing something big is going to take a lot of time and energy, right? And and what happens is for the whole year, if you do that one event, you're just promoting that one thing. But that's like slaying a golden goose, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. It's literally slaying a golden goose. Absolutely. And you're just saying, buy this stuff, buy this stuff. You're saying the same message year round. What if you said... Come on Tuesday and meet Christian and he's going to talk about how to be a great podcast host and get your first 100 leads through a podcast. And what if you come on Thursday at 11 and Lloyd's going to talk about 
how you raise your first $100,000. And next Tuesday, Melissa is going to talk about how she leveraged contractors to get to 1 million in revenue. Then every week it's new content and it's fresh, right? It's a new dopamine hit. It's a variable reward versus like the same thing and then people unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. We're all part of different communities and you know we've all seen this happen, right? If you don't engage with members of the community, if you don't keep things fresh, and, and I think you you wrote this in your in your bio as well, these communities will then fade into oblivion, right? If you don't if you don't keep that momentum going. So just based on your own experience, Lloyd, like what can you do? Like and give us examples if you can. Give us examples of what teams can do out there to maintain a high level of engagement and following within a community so it doesn't fade. Definitely. So think of a community, firstly, as not this large thing, right? Think of it as people-to-people connection. And if you can bring small groups of people to understand their pain points and understand what they need and connect them with that need and do it regularly on a cadence, that is a good start, right? I can give you a hundred things you can do and I can give you fancy things, but the you know the best things are rooted in simplicity. And the key there is, can you identify a burning need or a pain point? And can you make that connection? So you walk away and you realize like somebody needs investor intros. You understand their pitch, maybe you refine it a bit, and reach out to investors and make one or two connections. So you realize like somebody has lost their job during the pandemic, but is a really good candidate. Can you reach out and make some connections? Or you find like somebody's stuck with a specific sort of business challenge. Can you make a connection or can you share some advice? Now, we look at community as this massive thing, but it starts with that, like understanding the common pain points and adding values so they get over that hump. And that's how you drive engagement. You drive engagement through conversations, through connections, through content, right? And just doing that on a regular cadence. It's not about doing one big massive conference a year, but it's doing things consistently, showing up week in, week out consistently. Absolutely, absolutely. And I did love what you brought up earlier about these, like, I guess you can call it whatever you want, but like laser-focused micro-events, right? So I don't know if, because I'm not in this space, but I, I guess there are still like the huge events that are going on. I'm not going to say that they're entirely archaic, but I think your point was that's not the only way, right? Exactly. I mean, a, a good cadence would be, let's say you do a podcast. Can you make that live? Can you invite people to join so they interact with one another and the host? But then you take the recording and you put it to YouTube and you cut it into shorts. And then you take the audio and you post it to podcast. You take the top learnings, you create a LinkedIn post. That's a good way to build your audience. 
then you know you start sending a weekly newsletter to update people then maybe monthly you do a meetup in different wherever you are and this doesn't have to be big production stuff you can find out who your super fans are most engaged audience members and give them the soapbox and say hey do you want to host this co-host this and you get to invite people and i'll invite some people and you just host it and i'll pay i'll pay for the pizza or whatever right or find sponsors just doing small things on a cadence leads to big outcomes consistency Absolutely. is the secret weapon you know and so when you are consistent on small actions over time it leads to huge things absolutely absolutely so on the topic of communities love it or hate it metrics right are there any metrics out there that b2b marketers can look at if they're building communities you show know we have we, we have it's working <laughs> yeah you know we have all these metrics which cause a lot of confusion and it's hard yeah. with community because somebody comes to an event then they afford your company name to another person in in their company mm -hmm. their their colleague goes to your website reads the blog downloads a white paper forwards it to somebody else and they that somebody else reads it requests a demo and then it goes to sales community attribution is is really hard because it involves a lot of offline stuff right and i think um one of the key things key 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 things is to understand the answers to questions rather than you know these buzzword metrics right so it's very simple with any business do your customers love you do your employees love you and do you have money in the bank right and so how do you break that down when it comes to community do do people show up do they pay do they stay do they bring their friends and lastly does it make money i can give you a whole bunch of like you know mrr arr churn rate nrr all these things right but let's keep it simple because we're community people human to human is what are they showing up are they staying are they paying are they bringing their friends and are you making money that's it and so if nobody's showing up then why are you focused on making money get people to show up if nobody's staying then why are you focused on driving people in? Because the more people you drive in, if they don't like to be there, then they're going to leave. So make sure you create an environment where people want to stay, right? That's how you would follow that, like solve one thing at a time. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, don't worry, I wasn't expecting you to give us a list of like 50 attributes to measure. Um, but um, so I'm going to call this one the soapbox question. So basically what is it in your area of expertise so that that being communities what is the status quo in this area that you passionately disagree with and why i think you know i, I don't know like community is my passion it's my dna mm -hmm. i think the status quo in community is doing virtual events building online audiences everything is online that is the status quo right there's the millionth podcast is about to come out the millionth webinar is about to come out the millionth like you know social media influencer is about to come out if you don't have people's contact information 
you cannot create an environment where you can meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. You cannot reach out to them, right? Unless they see your post and decide to register, which is a very low conversion rate versus like emailing someone or messaging someone. So I think the status quo is a lot of people want to do virtual stuff and they don't think about, can I do something in person? Some of the most iconic brands have had in-person human-to-human connection. I truly believe that you need to augment online with offline because anytime you incorporate more than two senses, you build stronger connections. We're sound in sight, but have you ever met one of the people you've talked to online for ages and then eventually met in person and it became a bond? I'll give you an example. I met my wife on IRC. I met my wife mm -hmm. in IRC, IRC. Mm -hmm. And we chatted for months. And then when we met in person, we're, we've been dating since our teens, late teens. We're married right now. And that's like 25 years later, like 14 years of being married and 24 years of being together. But had we not met in person, you think we'd be married? Probably not, right? Anytime you incorporate more than two senses, you build stronger connections. So the status quo is do virtual. Everything that's great is on the other side of risk, uncertainty, and difficulty. Doing in-person things are difficult, but love it or hate it, they build genuine bonds and stronger connections. Absolutely, absolutely. That's such a great answer. And uh, just for the benefit of the audience who's a little bit younger, IRC stands for Internet Chat Relay, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah. If, if I remember correctly, the screen was black. So you can't even see who, you're, who it is you're chatting with, right? Yeah, you just see that you just see the the text popping up, and then you you key something in, and you press enter, and then the and then you respond. I mean that that was that was that 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 was um virtual chatting for you like way back, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that was like basically Slack was built on the IRC yeah. UX in many ways. Yeah, yeah, it, it it does have some similarities, right? I mean, clearly it's 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 an evolved version, but. Um, yeah. No, fantastic. Exactly. Wow, Lloyd, I mean, we could have been going on and on for another couple of hours, man, but you know, I appreciate the time, you know, that you've taken to share your expertise and experience with our audience. So, thank you once again. Um, quick introduction to yourself and uh how folks out there can get in touch with you and please talk about your book. Definitely. So, I'm on lloydlobo.com or from grassroots to greatness.com. I write business content on LinkedIn, but more around the personal side of business. So bootstrapping, community building, mental health, founder fitness, Lloyd Lobo on LinkedIn, double L-O-Y-E-D on LinkedIn. And my book's on from grassroots to greatness.com, 13 rules to build iconic brands by leveraging the power of human to human connection. That's the book. And I'll have an accompanying Notion doc on fromgrassrootstogreatness.com forward slash bonus with things I didn't include in the book, like email templates to reach out and score speakers or uh, email templates to um, get sponsors or email templates, you know, for, uh, you know, you name it, or, or like Excel templates to organize things, things like that, right? Like templates that'll give you ideas to action from audience building to community building to creating movements and cults and with backstories and behind the scene interviews and whatnot, I'll include in there.
fantastic fantastic um i'll be sure to like drop all the links in the uh in this episode so once again uh, lloyd it was a pleasure to have you on the show uh take care stay safe and talk to you soon thank you so much man talk to you soon appreciate you doing this for me all right thanks man take care okay bye-bye thank you for joining us on this episode of the b2b marketers on a mission podcast to learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.imblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.